Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Yasser Zaki, CEO of Tender Love and Care Disability Services. Yasser's company spans eight countries with seven different business verticals. Not bad for a man who migrated to Australia alone with very little in his early 20s. We discuss how business should focus on impact rather than financials, the importance in business diversification for long-term survival, and strategies to position your business for success, identifying open markets or a blue ocean strategy. Yasser is one of the wisest people I have ever spoken to. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Yasser, everyone keeps telling me, I've heard through the Cub grapevines, everyone keeps saying, you got to meet Yasser, you got to meet Yasser. I said, who's this Yasser guy? Why do I have to meet him? (laughs) Everyone keeps telling me, the team, some of my good friends at Cub, and then out of nowhere, we'll actually schedule in for a for a podcast already. So, yeah, so I'm excited excited (laughs) to get to know you then. But um, how long have you been part of Cub? Um, Just under a year, about maybe six, seven months. Oh, very new. Very oh, good. And how did you how did you find it? It actually started with a friend. I was in my office in the city, and a friend of mine just said, oh, "There's a function. Would you like to come in?" And I just joined in, and then I started having conversations with people. It was quite a good um, vibe, good people, good conversations. And then Calvin, after that, um, reached out and had a chat with me, and one thing after the other, and I'm part of Cup. Oh, good. And and so tell me about your business. So, um, so we we. We are predominantly in health, but we also branched outside of health. So we are seven different entities in eight different countries. Um, we work in health, disability, aged care, food and beverage, technology, um, and travel, and the all around health and disability. So every initiative that we do is actually based on the core of the business, which is supporting people, enhancing their lives, and creating positive impact while running a sustainable business. And and your core business is Tender Love and Care Disability and Aged Care Services, yes? So t- Tender Love and Care is the holding company and then underneath that is Tender Love and Care Disability, Tender Love and Care Aged Care, Tender Love and Care Travel, uh, May Foods. So there's sort of multiple layers underneath. Which was the first? Disability. Okay. And what, so what makes you, what made you get into that type of business? So I've had a, I've had a, a personal story that actually triggers. So I used to be in corporate initially. So I was more into sales, marketing, investment banking, that type of things. And um, and the focus was literally just earning money, building future, um, living a comfortable financial life. That's that's basically what it was. Then one of those days I was having a sort of a down moment. And I, when I do that, I catch a train and I just go randomly on the train because I love monitoring human behaviors. It gets me in a, in a good place. So I did that just randomly. And while I was on the train, there was a, a lady sitting across from me just crying. So and she's an elderly lady. So commonly you just ask, like, are you okay? Is everything all right? And then here we are having a conversation about a, a very tough personal situation for her with her kids and things like that. So as we went on, she was coming off the train. I said, would you like me to help you with your bags? She said, please. I carried her bag, walked her into her house. And her house was a bit messy because of her age. She just wasn't, it wasn't too messy, but it needed a bit of love. So I went in and I fixed up her house and I cleaned it all up and cooked something for her, had a cup of tea. And ever since for two and a half years, I went every Saturday doing that for her. It was just a non-stop thing for me. But then she passed. But the changing moment for me, which we call it the, the, the moment in the moment, which is like a defining moment in a person's life. We all face that. Um, but some people react on it and do something about it. And others are like, that's really sweet. And then they just carry on with, with you know business as usual. But for me, it was a changing moment that for two and a half years in my head, I was helping someone. And when she passed, I started realizing that she was actually helping me because I didn't have any immediate family in Australia. Um, So she was the closest to a family to me. She gave me purpose. She gave me a reason of, you know, getting up every Saturday. I have a commitment. I cancel all my appointments. I just, that was her four hours every week. But so I created a... Very good feeling for me. And then when she passed, I felt very empty, like completely, you know. And I realized that she was actually the one that was helping me. So I quit my corporate high-paid job at the time and went into disability service. I worked as a support worker and literally got one, I got a quarter of my pay. Like 
literally. So I started struggling financially a little bit. And then and a, a second dad, it'd be, should I continue doing that or do I just do it as a nice volunteer thing? But I kept going and, and then it turned into um, a career and I studied, finished um, sociology. That was the second degree, did my master's and PhD in sociology, disability studies, and just kept going from there. So really, this le- what was her name? Margaret. So Margaret really kind of gave you the tra- your trajectory yeah. in life. And, and I love what you said, like sometimes when you help someone, you don't realize, realize it, but they're actually helping you. Yeah. You know, that's like a really profound statement and, and it could even be – I feel like that's something that society needs a lot more of these days. It's like, you know, sometimes just by being a good person – you know, being a good person is good for you. And in your case, um, and, and you spoke about it, you said that the defining moment in people's lives and some people either take action on it or don't. That, that I completely agree with that. I think everybody in life has the option uh, to, view, to view something one way or the other. And if, you, if your brain, if you can force your brain to do it or your brain is already trained to do it, it can it can choose the better way. Absolutely. And in sometimes that way is more challenging. In your case, more challenging. You know, less money. I got to learn this new industry. I need to go to study. And you know all this. And you would have worked. I, I can imagine you would have worked hard to get high in corporate as well in the first place. So you yes. you know you're giving all that up. But but you but you took the challenge. You know you've I don't know what. Yeah, I I don't know what that is. What what do you think it was that 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 made you do that, and that makes people I, do that. I think, you know, um, we always do things for a reason, right? We, we drink because we're thirsty, we eat because we're hungry. So humans in general don't do things randomly, even though sometimes we struggle to find that their motivation behind our actions. So for me, it was very important that I get right with myself, that it's very important that I know that I am making a bit of a difference in someone's life. And, and from that base, I can build a business, I can grow I can succeed but you have to take two steps back to take 10 steps forward right and that was the decision you know and and if I if I had and, and I would never have known now that if I stayed on the corporate world where would I have been but I am in a good place and I'm comfortable with it because it feels good it, it is delivering everything that I need and and I'm, I'm just keep going forward while helping people and that's that's the change so at the time, if I only thought about the financial aspect and not the, the impact aspect, I would not have done it. I would have done it as a volunteer on the side, and that's good enough. But I took it on as a, as a mission for me, as a purpose. And with that purpose, I started building up skills. Because you don't have to, When you help people, you don't have to lose everything, right? You can still build a business around it. You just have to put a little bit of effort because it's a change. So I started working on knowledge, education, business, you know, around that, going into government, understanding what that means and just growing because you help more people the more you get successful. So that was the... And, but I like that. It, it's, you focus on the impact, not the finance. And often, you know, when people are focusing on the finance, they don't focus on the impact and therefore they're limited to how much finance they can get because they're not making much of an impact. Yeah. You know, but if you just focus on, on building something valuable yeah. for, for someone or for a group of people, you know, the finance comes and that's great. Like you want the finance because you want to be rewarded for your contributions to the world. There's nothing wrong with that. No. But but I, I think that a lot of people aren't chasing – I think chasing impact over finance is a huge lesson. Yes. So, so impact investment is proven to double your ROI. Okay. So uh, average ROI is 8 to 15%. Um, impact investment is 15 to 23%. Okay, so when we talk about the, all the all the um, you know the larger entities, we talk about Woolies have the Woolies Foundation, Emirates has the Emirates Foundation, McDonald's has the Ronald McDonald's House, because impact does return really well. So you can actually make more return on investment by helping people. Um, one of the new initiatives we're doing is called Impact Plus, and the idea of it is stamping businesses that are doing good work. And creating this um, move where the audience starts buying the products that has impact. Same as Australian Mate type of stamp, 
um, if you want to support the Australian economy, you buy Australian made products. We're saying if you want to also support businesses that are doing good, you buy the, the products that are or the services that have impact on it. And is that an initiative that you guys are, are driving? Yes, yes. It's our new baby um, at the moment. And, and so impact investment, what do you mean by that? So you, you invest while doing good. Um, so basically um, we all have social responsibilities. And if you are running a business that is successful, that is returning a level of um, revenue, you should profit, you should put um, some of these towards doing good. And automatically that means it, you get higher return because people love to give to good products. You know, if, if you are having a mission behind you that is servicing greater good, so it, it increases your caliber, increases your uh, people's appetite to engage with you. It makes the brand more likable. Absolutely. Guess, you know, it's Absolutely. like people want to be like it, it would be like Cub. I'm trying to think of an example for Cub. If Cub if Cub funded or allocated X number of underprivileged um, young people to be able to uh, start a business or to be able to get a great job, you know, match them with members or, or you know, or, or, get, or, or even paid for their education yeah. uh, of some sort, like yeah. – Something like that. It's got to be in line with your business, yes, um, and in line with your business because you don't like. You could do something random, like I could go save the warthogs or something, but the save some. The, I don't know the what's the endangered species. I could go save the white rhino, <laughs> but but you know it's just not aligned <laughs> with gay. Koala. <laughs> yeah. koala. Koala. <laughs> the, um, Are they endangered? Those things after the fires. We, we've done two initiatives just to give context into impact investment, right? So. We've decided to stop relying on government funding. So five years ago, we were 100% government funded. We're running a multi-million dollar business that is purely funded by the government. And we decided to see a bit of um, risk in that. It's a, it's a business threat. If the government changes policy or anything adjusts, we, we, we've got a bit of an issue. So we decided to diversify a little bit. And we went into food and beverage as an example. And we, we, we import and export food. And we have 70% of our employees are people with disabilities. So we open employment, getting paid like you and I will get paid. So you can deliver a very successful, and the business is going really well. Um, what type of disabilities? So, well, it, it depends on the on the job itself. So, But we, we, we cater for everything, including psychosocial, physical, mental, um, and other. So we care for everything. But there's assessments and the person has to have the skills and sometimes we put them into a skills development program. Um, and, and build up the skills. The idea is not hiring people with disability because they have a disability. The idea is hiring people with disability to give them the opportunity to do the job like you and I would do at the same level, same quality, if they can do it. And if they can't, then they get treated like any other employee. The defining thing here is don't treat a person based on their disability, treat them based on their ability. If they can do the job, give them the job. And sometimes it's a small adjustment that you have to do in the business to allow for that, if, you, if you're a computer engineer going to do work and I don't give you a good computer, you automatically will not deliver good work because you don't have the tools to, to succeed. It's the same for people that are vulnerable, people with disability. If you give them the right tools, they're going to deliver the good outcomes. You know, And that's the concept behind it. We open initiatives. We have a coffee shop, um, open, run, and, and all the profits go um, to the people with disability. They run it. It's their coffee shop. We help them to go into a barista course and they, um, they learn how to make coffees and then they run a business. And now we're franchising that business for them. So what, what I'm saying is, but it does help our business. We are growing as, as a business. We are the, the only international organization that's in the disability sector at that level. You know, So we're going above and beyond because of that impact that we're bringing with us. Well, I think it's the impact, yes. But I also think that it's your business it stands for something and it acts on that thing through and throughout the business. So, you know, you're not just um, supporting and serving people with disabilities. You're also employing them. Yes. You know, you don't have to do that. You could just serve and, and support them and, and, ser- and, 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 ser- and provide them services, but you're not. You you take it to the next level and you ensure that your business is, is so embodied in its values that you also employ them. Absolutely. And – and I think that um, um, that would be a big part of a business's success because when people trust your business, 
I think trust is a huge thing because everyone tells you everything these days. Yeah, anyone could tell you I'm going to. Uh, yeah, I could give you an ROI of this, and they could be they could just promise it. But I don't. I'm not. I might not believe them. In fact, you normally don't believe what people say these days. But when you can see a business um, uh, has made real big decisions to be aligned with what they're saying, there's automatically that element of trust. And also when you see a business has, um, uh, what did you call it, impact investment. I love that you call it invest. It's an investment because it's got to be, it's returning. It's still returning. I think that's, it's not just impact donation impact investment. But when a business is making an impact investment um, and then doing more good, automatically you think this this company must be run by morally good people. And so therefore what I'm told by the sales team or told on the website or told through any marketing or what the owner might say to me, I'm more inclined to believe it because I can see a I can see the level of ethics this person has based on what their business has, is contributing and how it's acting. And I think that trust uh, must be a big proponent for, for new business and for state and for retention of customers. Absolutely. There's this business methodology that I learned um, from Harvard that talks about performance versus trust. Okay. And um, if the person is high on trust and low in performance, you can always improve their performance because it's, it's a skill that you can learn, okay? But if the person is low on trust and high on performance, they become toxic because they're not honest, they're not good, but they, they might be able to do a good job because you cannot teach someone to be a good person. You're either a good person or not. Um, but you can teach someone to learn a job, to upskill them, to train them, to bring them to a good place. So this methodology we actually apply to every single person and every single business we deal with. And if the business is low on trust, we don't engage. If the person is low on trust, we don't engage. That's exactly the same as us. Uh, honestly, we we actually openly say um, uh, as a team that our job is to look for other good people. And by good people, we just mean people with good ethics, people that that uh, are trustworthy, are honest, want to do good. You know, because that's the hardest part. Yes. You know, it's and it's not like there's not many good people. There's lots of good people, but 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 still, when you're when you're recruiting, like if you find someone that's a good person. And, and we at Cub, we also say good work ethic. We also want good work ethic. Um, but but if you have those two things, you can teach them any skill or teach them any operation or teach them uh, how a company works. But I agree with you. You uh, w- Good work ethic and good um, uh, being a good person is a lot harder to teach someone than a skill. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, and that's why if, if you have the trust component, I'll work with you on everything else. But if you don't have the trust component, I won't engage. Yeah. yeah. You're a very wise, wise person. Well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so th- tell, tell me about you starting the business then. So were you, 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 were you born in Australia or you weren't born in Australia? No, no, I came when I was 23. Okay. And where from? Egypt. Where about? Kind of Dubai because I, I finished high school in Egypt. I went to study in, the, in Dubai and yep. then came to here. Which, which, which uh, uni in Dubai did you study? University of Wollongong, oh, Dubai okay. campus. Oh, okay. And so that was your transition then to Australia? That was my Through the university. Yeah. And uh, your family? So um, I've, got, I've got two brothers. I've got, a, um, well, I've got a sister that is younger than me. So I was the young baby in the family until she came in 12 years after and took everything away from me. No, I'm just kidding. She's my baby. Um, she lives in Dubai and, and my other brothers live in, uh, in Egypt. Um, my dad was... Um, a, a judge, an international judge. So he traveled quite a bit. Um, and, um, you know, he was a very, everything has to be done right. It was very, you know, he was a judge. He's yeah. <laughs> you know, right and wrong. <laughs> yeah, actually, one of my business mottos was, uh, come from him. When I had the transition and, and I lost that big income, I, I got shaken up a bit because my lifestyle went right down for a while. And, um, and I called him and I said, look, I'm done this move and I'm like, should I go back into the corporate world? I just need that guidance. And he goes to me, a word that I never forget. I'm actually writing a book now and, and it evolves around that concept. Um, and it's it's called A Ship Without Goodness Sinks. Okay, And that was his word. He a said, Ship Without? A Ship Without Goodness Sinks. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have goodness in what you're doing, it, it's never going to last. not sustainable. That's That was his word. And I took that from him. To, to keep doing good and then you end up coming out the other end 10 times better. And that's what happened. I'm, you know, I've, I've, 
taken the whole journey right from the ground up and I kept building on it. You don't have to not be successful to help people. And that's the, that's what I'm trying, that's the message that I'm trying to tell people that it's okay to help people because you can become successful through helping people. It's fine. Yeah. And and that's what that's what happened. But goodness in, in your journey should be a big part of it because it does keep you going. It makes you feel good and it attracts good people around you. That must be some sort of old uh, Arab saying. No, you know, my daddy always got these Lebanese sayings. <laughs> you know, like, a ship without goodness sinks. Yeah. Like it's 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 so true. Like yeah. it's and it just in line with what you're saying and, and what you're doing. And I think your whole, your message is very much like helping people helps you. Absolutely. That's absolutely. pretty much your message. Yeah. Like helping people helps you. Absolutely. So just go help as many people as you possibly can and absolutely. it helps you back. And it's up to you. Like yeah. not everyone goes and works as a support worker and disability becomes um, an international or global run business. Right? It's up to you to work hard, learn hard, um, get the right mentors in your life. You know, I came in as a migrant. I, I didn't have much. I had to build it up right from scratch, you know. So going through that journey, it's up to me to do it. I've had to work hard on it. It's not given, it's not put on a gold platter. You have to earn it and you have to put the effort in. And I did. And that's what I say to people. If you're sitting down waiting for it to come to you, then good luck with that. But if you pursue a dream and pursue a purpose you're more likely to succeed. Um, determination is key to success. You know. And I think patience too because sometimes, like I know with me, you know, you have big dreams. Yeah. And uh, actually my friend Gavin said it to me at a uh, – he did a keynote at Cub the other day. He said, uh, I know what um, – he goes, I know what, what I'm going to have, what I'm going to achieve. He goes, I know what I'm going to achieve. And – but I just know that um, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, eventually I'm going to get there. It's just a matter of time. And I really liked that because he was like, he knows where he's going. You know, he's got a dream and he knows that he can't, you know, he's doing it as fast as he can. Like he's doing the right things to get there. And sometimes, you know, people have these huge ambitions and they want to be there in five years or two years or in some people's case tomorrow, you know. You have to also remember that it takes time to build something great and it takes time to build something strong. How many businesses, for example, um, explode overnight? They, they, you know, they, they just get huge. They, they're on the stock market in a year and, and the, 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 the stock mar- market listing price skyrockets and then six months later the business is gone. It's out of business. And like WeWork's probably a good example. But, but there's a lot of businesses even quicker. But when a business grows steady – and the owner learns and, and the team grows with the business and the people upskill and the business having a positive impact, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot harder to knock over. It's a strong business. And I think so patience, you know, patience I think is a very important attribute. Absolutely. I'm taking educated steps. Like when we, when we decided to shift away from only being 100% government funded to diversifying our revenue, our business offerings and, and growing um, in that. We didn't just go and do that. We, we put a lot of effort. We applied strategies. We, we applied blue ocean strategy and we looked at the red ocean versus blue ocean, which one we want to take. Explain that. I, I know what it is because I've read the book. Okay. But ex- explain the blue ocean strategy to so, listeners so in, who perhaps in, haven't. In, in simple terms. So I'll, I'll talk a bit about red ocean and then blue ocean to make sense of it. So red ocean is basically when you offer the same product service, and your, your point of difference is more around the way you offer it or the way you present yourself, your branding, your colors, your designs, your customer service. That's that's what sets you apart. But the product itself is it's pretty much the same thing. And that goes like um, uh, Harvey Norman versus JB Hi-Fi. If you're buying an HP laptop from Harvey Norman, it's pretty much the same laptop you would buy from JB Hi-Fi. The difference between both of them is JB Hi-Fi is more the younger generations, the music, the sort of a bit more casual dressed um, approach while Harvey Norman is more the shirt, the more for families and, and businesses. But essentially you're buying the same product, okay? So that's kind of a red ocean approach. Blue ocean is when you create a point of difference. You become the missing piece of the puzzle to complete the picture. And the positive around that is you polarize the market to you. You become 
different. You don't have to compete as much anymore because you you are leading, you're already ahead, and there is not many like you. An example for that is Apple. When Apple came about, we have Android, which is Samsung, Huawei, for example, of all these brands are using Android. So it's essentially the same phone, just different branding, different marketing, different designs, but essentially the same phone. While in, in Apple, they went iOS, they did it completely different. And now what, what you do is if you have an Apple phone, you more likely have an Apple Watch, you more likely have an iPad, you have an Apple laptop. Otherwise, you won't be 100% functional. That's what they created. They polarized the market to them. So when years ago, I don't know if you remember, but Microsoft Office wouldn't design um, a, a model for iOS. They said, well, we're, we're Windows. We have 98% of the market share. So we don't need to do that. But eventually when Apple got a lot more market share and people started using Apple, Microsoft now designed Microsoft Office for Apple because you, you end up increasing your market share and you become market dominant, you have control of a price point and that's why you'll find even the way it's presented, Apple never tells you come and buy my product. They only promote features. If you look at the promotions, always the colors, the camera, the, these, they tell you the features of the product. And then it's up to you to buy it or not. They never come and give you 50% discount. We're going to, you know, you have a, a buy one, get one free. You don't get that stuff because it's blue ocean approach. You don't need to do that because you see it separately. The way I, the way I easily understand the blue ocean, red ocean approach is that uh, blue ocean is finding a market that doesn't have um, much competition. So many, uh, like many sharks chewing up people causing the red ocean. <laughs> So um, in uh, so it, sometimes that's about offering an existing uh, product or service to to a market that's not um, yet serviced. And in the book, they use the Cirque du Soleil yes. as the example. So they say, well, the circus um, um, was typically for children and families, and that you know you had the elephants throwing people and a couple of koalas in there and, and, and do, doing some weird shit. And and uh, Cirque du Soleil said, well, what if we made the circus for adults? You know, and so they took the circus to a market that wasn't serviced in in, in circus in circuses, and uh, and that's what they call a blue ocean. So a market that is not yet serviced, and and you're the one to serve that. And you can even look at Cub, right? the members clubs or leadership communities um, in this country. Right? They, they they were only pre Cub, um, like when when I got back from living overseas from London and Paris, and I wanted to join a members club, I looked at the members clubs in Australia. And they were all the old men only uh, kind of, you know, those those kind of old world clubs and communities. And I thought, well, wait a second, I want a group of people. I wanted a group of business owners to, to and entrepreneurs to meet. But there was there wasn't a community for 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 me and for other people like me. And so I started Cub. I didn't know what the Blue Ocean strategy was at that point, but I actually think it's a good example of, well, there weren't, wasn't a community for members club that represents the modern face of Australian business in Australia. So we took members club and we gave it to that market, which was an open, unserviced market, a blue ocean. Um, and it worked. Um, and it worked, but because, the, and still there's not much competition. Mm. So, so that's how I kind of, it's a great book, that book. I, I, I highly really suggest awesome. everybody. We, we took it right on. We fully blew ocean. We talk it, speak it, and, and, and deliver on it. The way our business model in the sector is so unique, it's, it's not done. We have programs that are done only with, with 10-11K. You cannot access them anywhere else because of the platform that we created around it and the ecosystem that we developed in a very powerful um, space. Um, we do a lot of government consultancies, so we also bring standards from multiple countries into mix it up with the with the Australian standards and deliver uh, sort of a different level of service delivery. And that's the whole idea: is positioning yourself differently. You become the, the missing piece, and you don't have to compete. You can just position yourself separately, and and co you can collaborate. You can build relationships, but no one is you, and it's very hard for everyone else to be you because you're just. Ahead. That's another great book. I don't know if you've read that, but uh, I think it's called Positioning. Yes. Or, have yes, you read I that? Know, yes. It's I, know, yeah. I think it's guy. I never remember any author, but I think his name's Al Rees or Al yeah Al Rees or something like that. There's also another book by him called um, The Origin of Brands, which is is essentially talks more about positioning and how to position your company to be to own a category, mm. and it's such an important. Um, 
um, it's such an important tool that I feel like most business owners don't do. Most business owners are saying, you know, a lot of businesses will be, uh, what is it, digital transformation and, you know, IT. AI and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. How many businesses <coughs> do you hear say the same thing? Digital transformation. We do software development, some uh, security, cyber security. We do IT. We you know, there's so many businesses in that space. I come across so many of them. I actually don't know why, but I do. But none of them position themselves differently or position themselves well because I can't tell you one of them that stands out from, from the hundreds that I've – Does it I've, differently? Yes. They don't – it's about how do you position yourself in the market to be known for what. And and I, I think everybody should read uh, – I think the first book's called Position or Positioning and the second book's called Brand of Orig- uh, Origin of Brands. I think everybody needs to read it, particularly if you are in a crowded market. If your business is something that there are a lot of other businesses like you, um, they're, they're must-read books. And you mentioned um, uh, diversifying your your revenue. Yes. Now, that's something that I'm actually doing at the moment. And so I've, I've got – I've had a lot of thought process, processes about it lately. But I'd love to hear how you came to the realisation – and when, you know, what stage did you get to that realization where you thought, you know, shit, it's time to, it's time to make my business safer and find another revenue stream. Um, uh, because I have a lot to say about it too. <laughs> I've just got to that point. Yes. Um, so, so it started by when we were doing our strategic um, review. That's five years ago. And we went through our SWOT analysis and we looked at the threats to the business and, um, one of the environmental risks that we we had was um, literally just what happens if the government changes um, policy. We we then completely collapse. Literally, you're, you're running you know a, a multi million dollar business that will come to zero if you know if, the, if that changes. And the thing is, you don't have control over that change. So government can come up with a policy that you cannot do anything about. So. Um, at the time, we had an expansion plan. We were in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. And we had an expansion plan to go to Adelaide and Perth. Um, we totally scrapped that off and said that will happen in five years. So we're doing that now. But at that time, we said, we're not going to do that. We're going to head out to Dubai and we're going to go international. Because that means I can generate different revenues in, in what I'm good at, but outside of the one source of revenue. And that was the starting point. Um, from there, we started to, um, and every time I grow into a business, I don't just go random because a lot of people think, are oh, you too distracted and, and going to all over the place? It's not like that. It's very educated and very strategic. And every time we set up a business, we set it up to be completely um, running. And then we put uh, the appropriate managers to it. And then we move to the next venture. So it's not at the same time, everything at the same time, because that's when. It gets a bit funny. Yeah, if you do too much, you too do much, nothing. You do nothing. All right. So it's a, it's a doing a very educated, very strategic, and growing the ecosystem, but one at a time. Um, we do a lot of research into market segmentation, which mark we're going to go into. It took us a year and a half to go into the United States. There's 52 countries in one country, so we didn't just rush into it. Even though we had, it's a plug and play in a lot of cases. We know exactly what we need to do, but we we we. Research the market. We fly in and out. We talk to people. We get PR advisors. We we do the whole thing. So when we go in, your chances of success are a lot higher, and you're not taking really risks. You're not gambling on it. Um, by doing that, your business starts to be steady and, and and creating all these different revenues. Also, there's a couple of methodologies that we use in in business. One, I'll give you an example of the business. Even though you might be delivering something, the business could be about something completely different to create success. And when we talk about that, like Domino's Pizza is a, is a great example. Um, Domino's Pizza, to a lot of people, it's a pizza company. It's not. It's an IT company. It's a technology company that happens to sell pizza. That change happened in 2004 when they said, we're not going good with pizza. We need to change. Technology comes into play. How can we do that? But how do you attract IT people how do you attract people that are actually really good into IT while you're competing with Microsoft, you're competing with Google? You're not going to get the best of the best. So they had to change the model into an actually technology company. So you know, if you work for Domino's, you're working for a technology company that happens to sell pizza. 
They have 80% of their employees are IT people. So that's the create a completely different narrative. And the shares went from $3 a share to now sitting at $450 a share. Purely because it changed their methodology. We know that uh, you know other companies like McDonald's, it's a property um, or asset management um, company. So it's very, Pfizer is a marketing company. They don't actually have research themselves. It's all subcontracted. So if you look into those large businesses, you'll find sometimes the business needs to, even though you're delivering an end outcome, like pizza, for example, the back end doesn't have to necessarily be that. So how are you looking at positioning yourself in the market? Is it based on your outcome? Is it based on the product you're offering? Or is it based on the methodology you're offering? And that's very important to look at in business. Another thing is um, sometimes we subtract things in business to succeed. So commonly people add to the business to make it succeed. So if you have a service, you add another service. If you have um, you know, something that, I don't know, if you have a certain product, you just add more products. But if we look at um, Twitter, for example, um, so when you, when you had the Facebook, when you can go in and write your life story in a post, Twitter came and said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Our audience are people that can tell their message in 145 um, characters. That's it. If you can't tell your message in 145 characters, you're not a Twitter person. Um, Snapchat messages was always about keeping messages, saving messages, and having a record of the message. Snapchat said, no, we're going to delete messages. And then it went viral. Tiger shoes. Shoes were about shoelaces and having shoelaces and all that kind of stuff. And then Tiger Shoes came up with a design that doesn't have shoelaces. And then it went viral for them. Um, iPod Shuffle. I, you know, it usually had the screen where you know what song you're playing. You can pick your song. And then they came up with the one without the screen. So then it's random playing. Steve Jobs was challenged about that. We're in the modern world of technology and you're having something that doesn't tell you what you're going to play. And he challenged with it. So sometimes subtracting away from the business positions you in a much better place. I'm not saying go and delete things from your business. What I'm saying is there is ways of doing that and there is methodologies that you apply and but and a very educated approach. But something to think about outside of the box. If you want to grow your business, sometimes it's by offering different it's very true. I can I can even tell you at Cub there was a point where we we wanted to improve uh, some key metrics. They were already great, but we said, "Hey, we can do better. We can do more. Let's throw more. Let's throw more of these at the the, the members. Let, let's do this for them and this for them, and let's add this many more of these events." And we ended up working twice as hard for the exact same outcome. It did not improve our um, our situation. Then we said, "Okay, <laughs> this isn't working. We're not." Like we're working harder, everyone's tired, all the staff are exhausted, but but we haven't done any better. We're not better off. In fact, we're worse off because probably everyone's doing the the other stuff worse now because they're tired. So we subtracted all that stuff we were doing. And actually by subtracting to where we were originally, the results boosted yeah, because yeah. people had it, – people had more time to focus on the, the actual important things, the things that were actually contributing. And I think to your point of diversification, uh, you had gotten to a point where you were like, I've built a great company. Like this is paying for my life. It's paying for the lives of my team. It's contributing to the world. This is a strong, strong company that governments our, our client, which is, which is uh, fantastic as well because we know they're paying so, and we know they've got money. Yeah. But when you get to that point, when you get to that point, and I got to this point uh, 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 with Cub not too long ago, maybe we started thinking about it two years ago. When you get to that point, you start thinking, okay, well, we can't lose this. The risk of losing this now is too great. So what are our threats? And obviously your key threat was, well, if the government changes or the government you know, changes their mind or whatever it is, that's a big risk to us. And how do we mitigate that? Well, um, uh, well, we can diversify either our revenue streams by having um, uh, or and or our revenue streams and markets. So we could aim for you know not servicing just government. We could service private clients as well. We could diversify the market in the sense of well, we could change countries and work with different governments or or, or, or in different um, markets, um, or we could provide more services. 
you know, and, and that's, you actually chose, it would be easier for you to have expanded further in Australia because you're already in Australia. It's much easier to just stay here. All your head office is here. There's no change in, in time zones, but you said, well, no, I don't think that's the safest thing for the, it might be the easiest thing for the company, but it's not the safest. And it's not blue ocean. Yes. And it's not blue ocean. And so you made a decision based wholly on what's going to, it might be harder to do this, but we're going to be safer and better off by doing it as a company. And you expanded overseas. I think you said Dubai or the US, whichever. But but um, people should, once you get your business to a certain level, you know, Cub got to a, a certain level with one market, with one membership, and uh, with uh, and that was it. There was one membership, one price, one tier, with one market of people. And we did it and one service really, <laughs> you know, we did everything simple. And we always said the whole time, I want to do simple, I want to do it simple because we'll be the best at it that way. It's easier for us. We'll be the best at it. But then it got to a point where we started thinking, and you know, with the economy being turbulent and we don't know what's happening. And then you start thinking, Oh, wait a second. You know, if we've got all our eggs in this one basket, which is great, it's a great basket, but, but what happens if something goes wrong to that basket? Whenever the fox comes, starts trying to steal some of my eggs. I need a different basket. And, and then you start looking at things like um, um, we're launching Digital Cup, which is a, a lower cost Cub membership uh, that's mostly digital for people who are not yet eligible to Cub but yeah. want to be part of Cub. Because a lot of people reach out, they want to be part of Cub, but you know, we can't sell them Cub yet. They're not eligible. Yeah. So we now have that market, or we're going to anyway. Oh, yeah. And then we have BOA, the digital, you know, the digital platform. Yeah. It's free. Or very, very cheap if you have the premium. I think it's the premium launch in February. It's going to be like 60 bucks a month. But but all these moves were decided based on, well, let's be safer. Yes. You know, let's be a stronger tree, a stronger company. We can't be knocked over. If this market falls, well, this market will probably go up. Yeah. You know, if all markets are up, great, even better. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and I think – that's a fantastic I, I love your I love your example of well we could have done Adelaide, but we actually went to Dubai or to the US because it would be harder, but we'd be safer Absolutely. if we pulled it. Absolutely. And it makes us different and all that kind of stuff. Vern Harnish in his book Scaling Up, he um he spoke about when the business grows to a point and it plateaus, right? So a lot of businesses will keep growing, 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 and then it reaches a point where it kind of goes to be static, right? And then a lot of these businesses, when you talk to them, like, we just we can't get it up again. We're trying to push. And and the problem happens when you keep doing the same things because it worked the first time, that it will work the second time. And it's not the case, right? So there's this um, saying that Vern says, um, what brought you here is not going to take you there, okay? So everything that worked to get you from zero to 100 doesn't mean it necessarily will work to get you from 100 to 200, you have to revisit what you're doing, restructure. Also, look at the skill sets that you have, including yourself. I never call myself a founder. If you look at any of my socials um, presentations, I never ever call myself a founder. And that's very deliberate. And there, and and I have my own reasons behind it. One is um, being a founder sometimes implies that you don't have accountability. That you're in the position you're in just because you're a founder, not because you're the best of the best. And I'm in my position because I'm the best of the best. That's a good point. Yeah. I've never thought about that. So um, as a global CEO, I'm accountable. You know, So it's very important to, um, to look at that. And, um, and being accountable as a global CEO means that I have to continue to learn. So I just came back from Stanford. Um, I have to continue to have mentors, successful mentors, people that can push me to succeed. And I have to make sure that I am suitable for the job I'm in. And I keep reviewing that. Am I still the best at the best at my job or should I move aside and get someone better than me? And when you come to that point, you realize that you're on the way to success and continuous growth. Yeah. Am I still the best? Is the company better because I'm in this role or would it be better if someone else was in this exactly. role? Exactly. Looking at yourself the same way that you look at your other employees. Absolutely. Yeah. Is this person the best person for, for us and our company to do this? Am I the best person Absolutely. for this company? Absolutely. And what are you doing to be a lot of, the best? It'd be, yeah, it'd be hard for a lot of people to, to look at go. themselves uh, in that light. As a founder, you, you, you know that very well. As a yeah. founder, it's, it's the baby, okay? But, uh, but it, once you get educated, understand that it's, if you want to service that baby best, you need to get the best. And if you're not the best, then you might need to 
maybe just going to a board or do you know be the more strategy and let someone do it or are you learning growing yourself having mentors to take you through the journey so you become the best and stay the best what's the biggest challenge that you've ever had in the business what's been the hardest time when COVID hit um we we, we we're a care um, organization and no one knew no predictions we can't even plan for the future that we don't know um, and that was very tricky because we got an email at 3 p.m., shut down your services immediately. So we had um, an instant $3 million boom. And, and it was like, okay, should I um, stand down my team? Should I keep going? You know, all these questions happened and you had to have an answer within a day or two. So it was very, very challenging at the time. We took the decision that we will hold on to our staff and we're not going to stand anyone down and we will battle that through. And then we looked at um, growing our, so instead of focusing on growing in Australia, where we were locked down and so restricted, we started growing the other businesses. We contracted with Jabra, um, hearing with the distributors in the Middle East, because that's when enterprise came in, like the, the video conferencing and all that became a, a thing. So Jabra boomed, we wanted to come on the wagon, so we jumped on it very quickly. So we started finding other ways to offset the losses that we've had because of the restrictions. Um, and that was, we had to do it very quickly. And we did it very well. So we actually grew 10 multiple in the, in the, in the pandemic through the other avenues that we um, we tapped into in that journey. Food was a big one that grew because people, panic buys was a thing. So um, that was quite critical. So what do you do in the food space? So we import, You mentioned it, but I never asked. Yeah. So we, we import um, feta cheese from the Middle East. Um, we um, legally, because it's very hard to get dairy products from the Middle East, so we've gone through the whole process to, to actually have a very unique approval to bring the product into Australia through biosecurity. That was a winner for us. And we export, and we're now um, actually negotiating, contracting with SPC Foods to export their products into the Middle East as well. Um, and 70% of the employees of this company are people with disability, um, open employment completely. So that's. Um, but see, even though you've, you're selling a different, you know, you, you're not having a disability services. You you got a food company, but it's in the family. It's it's in the your business family, and 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 so even though it's a completely different company uh, in in the sense of what you're doing, you still stay true to your to your core, absolutely. which is to employ people with disabilities. You never deviate from your purpose, you know, and and it doesn't matter what the end product is. But it has to all evolve around the one thing. Why you're doing what you're doing. If you if you lose the why, you've got a problem. And I always say, if you're gonna go through a new initiative, okay, and we know our purpose, we know our vision, mission, and and what we want to do. Um, I always tell my team, ask why. Why are we wanting to do this? And if you keep answering, for example, I want to open a new branch. Why? Because I want to service more people. Why? Because people are vulnerable. Why? Because people are not getting enough or good services that we can offer. If the answer of every why, until you reach to the end of the questions, if the answer is all around your purpose, then it's a no-brainer. The second you start saying, for example, I want to um, sell food, for example. Why? Because I want to increase my revenue. Why? If you go in and say, because I want to get richer, for example, you're already out of your purpose. Then, it, you sh- In my opinion, you shouldn't do it. But if you want to increase revenue so you can help more people, then it comes back to your purpose then you should, it's a no-brainer, you go and do it. Mm. So I always ask the why, and if it takes me away from my purpose and my vision, then I don't do it. If it brings me back and around the core of what we're doing, then we do it. And that's why employment into the food business was very key because of what keeps us to our purpose. And I think just that point of COVID causing or, or COVID showcasing the importance of diversification is crucial. So one part of my business was in trouble, but the other part of my business did well. You know, we had just one business, but we had uh, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. And when Melbourne was in severe lockdown and the moods were horrendous and the, you know, the Victorian people and uh, particularly the business owners were having severe mental distress and challenges, Sydney people's hopes were a bit higher because they were out more. And so the Sydney business started, was doing a lot better. And that made me think, God, imagine if we also had Perth because Perth was open most of the time and, and Gold Coast. So even if you have the same company, but you have them in more markets, Absolutely. one market might be down, but the other markets will catch it. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it's all about surviving, I guess. It's business. Business is about survival. Business is about survival. In fact, um, we do have to wrap up now, but, but, um, I, I 
had breakfast uh, with a very, very smart man once. And he um, he studies basically a lot of the largest wealths uh, in the world and, and particularly he focused in, in Australia. And he said that the the um, people that are on the like the rich list essentially, he didn't say rich list, but let's just from, for this story's sake, people that, that are on the rich list now that were on it 10 years ago still own their companies. And he said that the biggest the biggest goal of every business owner should be the longevity of ownership of their company. The longer you own your is survival, essentially is what he was saying. The longer you survive, the stronger your business is and uh, the less likely it's ever going to fall and the more wealth you accumulate, uh, whether the wealth be your thing, but the more wealth you will accumulate, the longer your business goes. And I never forgot that. And so survival became my my um, mission. Well, you're my mission. You're doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Survival. Survival and thrive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, so thank you so much for today. That it's was absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm so happy we got to meet. Um um, sometimes we, I mean, we've said a lot of books and things in, in, in this um, episode, but sometimes we, we finish with a book recommendation or a greatest lesson in business. Would you want to share one? Absolutely. Um, there's a book called Stillness is the Key. It's a small book, easy read. I read it maybe four times. That's how much I, I, I think it's a great book. Um, um, Stillness is the Key talks pretty much about when life is too hectic for you. You just stop and then restart. And that changes a lot of um, these methodologies into it. So I would say that's a fantastic book to read. And one that I have never been told about, so I'm going to be buying that. There you go. Thank you. You know how, what you think of it. It's I not will. a big book. It's a simple book. It's, you can do it on the run, but it, it has a lot of value to it, to me anyway. No, I, I think I think to everybody, particularly business owners, <laughs> because life's always chaos. Yeah. But um, to our listeners, if you want to get in contact with Yasser, you go to cub.club forward slash podcast and find details there, uh, including uh, details about tender love and care, disability and aged care services um, and other uh, great information. Uh, if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business. Uh, that's on Instagram. It's awesome as well. Yasser, my brother, thank you so much for coming thank you. in. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the show.